This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Our first guest for the morning has just joined us in the studio. Performer Josh Pitterman is performing in the last five years at 45 Downstairs at the moment, presented by the Vic Theatre Company. Josh, welcome to Triple R. Thanks, Richard. It's very good to be here. Now, the last five years is a piece of musical theatre, but it's quite a different piece of musical theatre. For starters, it's a, an intimate chamber piece for two characters rather than a big, lavish budget production. Yeah, it's very different to what people uh, expect when they go and see a musical. Um, firstly, just the nature of, of the setup at 45 downstairs is a very intimate space for 120 people. You feel like uh, this is set generally in a New York apartment and you kind of feel like as an audience member you're the fly on the wall within the apartment and, and it's an um, unusual musical for those who see musicals from time to time in that it's not your happy ending type thing and you know that from the start. What you do is you follow the stories of these, this two couple, this, uh, this couple, it's two people, um, Kathy and Jamie, and her story happens in reverse chronological and his is chronological. So it starts with her crying on the bed because it's all over. <laughs> so you know what's going to happen, but it's the interesting dissection and um, it's very thought-provoking about how relationships work slash don't work. The, the fact that it, instead of doing something relatively straightforward, so like the French film Irreversible, which just tells it the, story, the, the story chronologically backwards, yes. the sheer notion that you've got these intertwining narratives, one forward, one back, so the, you only get to seeing a duet, I understand it, about one point in the show when the stories actually coincide. Totally. So, yeah, that's the, the, uh, the wedding moment. Um, and, a, and a beautiful song, Jason Robert Brown's score. Jason um, is a very well-acclaimed Broadway composer. Um, Bridges of Madison County, Parade, and uh, Songs for a New World, and this. Um, so, yeah, he's a brilliant composer, and the music's amazing. But, yes, we, we, uh, I start at the start, and she starts it at the end, but we are in each, other, each other's scenes the whole time. So it's, it's kind of like there's 14 songs in the show, and, and basically it's 14 vignettes that you see across a five-year relationship. And everything is high stakes. You know, if we're only looking at 14 moments, um, Jason Robert Brown doesn't really highlight the kind of boring, mundane moments. It's all the, the complete joy, complete elation, complete heartbreak, um, the big argument, the defining moments of this, uh, this couple's life. Well, that, which is good to know because I'm suspecting that a musical that focused on the mundane moments in life would be a yeah, little, a bit, little bit boring. Yeah, yeah <laughs> kind of like another argument about, did you get the milk? No, I was meant to get. Oh, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, look, a talented songwriter could turn even the mundane into something intriguing. This but. is true. This is true. But this is definitely high stakes stuff, and um, yeah, it's it's just a, a brilliant score and, and a brilliant piece, and it's been such an incredible um, journey to go on. We've had a short rehearsal period, but a very um, detailed rehearsal period um, with our director Chris Parker, music director Daniel Pucky um, and it's just a it's a beautiful thing as a as a you know, musical theatre performer who you know I've had the great joy of doing big commercial pieces like Cats and Hairspray and West Side Story and have played great roles in them and um, but to go to something that's so detailed and so intimate um, and such an actor's piece um, even though the score is you know um, incredibly challenging to sing and is a um, is a challenge night after night. Um, just just doing such detailed acting work as a musical theatre performer is few and far between. But I was thinking that because the fact that a l- not all musicals, certainly, I mean, Chapel Off Chapel regularly put on uh, smaller, more intimate musicals, for example, and they've been staged at Theatre Works and elsewhere, but 
often when people think of a musical, they think of the big budget stage spectacular, which you may be watching from up in the gods, for example, so you can't see the the fine detail of emotion. So it's all about playing to a big space. So is it a challenge for you as a performer to switch from a big scale production where you're having to push it and exaggerate gestures and and emotions to have to scale it down? Or is it a delight to be able to step back and and finesse and focus? Definitely a delight. Um, to, to play what what is essentially you know reality um, for these for these two people um, and as I said as the audience you feel like a fly on the wall so you really um, go on the roller coaster of this relationship with these two people as the actor just being natural in it and sharing it with uh, with Verity Hunt Ballard who really is a, a, a superstar of you know Australian musical theatre she's two time Helpman Award winner for Mary Poppins and Sweet Charity. Um, it's just yes it's a delight it's um it's something that as i said really rare as a musical theater performer to do this this is a bucket list show for me um since 2004 when i first heard it in first year um uni i said i have to play this role at some point in my life um and and 12 years later i'm i'm so so happy i'm doing it it's everything i thought it would be and probably more it's nice to know that dreams come true yeah it really is um <laughs> but then what what next if if you've achieved one of those great goals one of those great roles you set out to play in life i mean great tick that off the bucket list yeah but, but I, you know ticking is one thing but actually experiencing and having the journey of it is another and you know if you're kind of out there just to tick off boxes then you know life uh, probably becomes pretty inadequate for you so this is a journey and the next one will be a journey and i've, I've had uh, dreams that have come true and there'll be more dreams that'll come true hopefully too. If you've just tuned in we're chatting to performer Josh Pitterman who's currently performing in the last five years presented by the Vic Theatre Company at 45 Downstairs in Flinders Lane. Josh what was it that got you into musical theatre to begin with? No that's a very interesting question. Um, I was always um, a bit of a jock at school um, big on my cricket, tennis, footy, basketball um, but I got into Michael Jackson in year 11 and got caught moonwalking in the school cafeteria one day by the director of the school musicals and uh, he said we could use that and so next minute I'm uh, in performing in fame and then the following year I did Jesus Christ Superstar and played Judas in that and um, and really I just had this um, extreme passion for it I fell in love with it um, with all my heart and it was really affected the you know the core of me and I, I couldn't kind of fathom a life without experiencing this at at a really you know professional level and um, so it's been an amazing decade really yeah. looking back on those early uh, experiences in high school before you went to professional training was there conflict between you and some of your jock mates for example or were they very accepting of the fact that w- they already knew you had you were fit and 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 fast so it was just them going oh i guess he's just adapting that to a different set of circumstances um yeah i don't think people are well jockey mates are that emotionally intelligent when you're 16 so <laughs> yeah it, it certainly um you know sparked up some um some conversation um but you know when when your mates see a, a, a real passion for it and then later down the track so you um, have some success in it um you know they're they're incredibly supportive and um you know i got a, a text from a very uh, close mate from from high school um saying oh all the boys are coming down tonight to see the show so they're all they're actually coming down tonight to see the show so Fantastic. it's great that you know i, I finished school uh, 13 years ago that that mates still look out for what i'm doing and still support it that's that's pretty amazing yeah, yeah. so in terms of the performance itself, as you said, uh, the last five years set uh, in a, a kind of New York style apartment. So yeah. Forty five downstairs really is the ideal venue for Absolutely it. Absolutely perfect for it. You feel like you're stepping, you're stepping down, but stepping into a, a loft apartment. And um, yeah, the set is is beautiful, and it's so 
it's just so of the of that vibe, you know. I've been to New York several times and stayed in places that really are akin to this. So it's it's perfect. And it's set in the here and now, so you see Skype conversations and FaceTime conversations and, and all those kind of th- things that as someone who is in a relationship, who has been in a relationship, so basically everyone, you can really relate to both characters at different times. Um, yeah, the highs and fall and highs lows. And, and, yeah, yeah, and just, you know, what it is to be in a relationship. Just that, that real difficulty and challenge and joy of, of coexistence. And it, and it sparks so many questions. You know, we opened last week to really great, great reviews. The Herald Sun did a, did a wonderful review and really enjoyed it. Um, but, but what it does for people is it starts conversation. It makes people think. And generally, I find that musical theatre doesn't really make for much conversation post 15 minutes after the show. Yeah, you go, that, that was, was fun. fun. That was, that was great. That's yeah. Re- yeah, yeah. Whereas this... People have differing opinions about whose side are you on? Are you a Jamie fan? Are you a Kathy fan? Do you, are you on no, no, no side and you just really want to talk about what relationships are? The fact that musical theatre can do that, um, I think, is exceptional. It's a sometimes denigrated art form, which frustrates me because uh, as much as I love a well-crafted, intelligent piece of, of theatre, for example, sometimes it's just lovely to, to just go and, f- and enjoy something light. And, and musical theatre, as we know, doesn't always have to be light. Let's face it, Assassins, for example. Totally, sometimes, yeah. Yeah, um, a, a dark and, and compelling piece. But there is something about the pairing of song, music and drama which can really cut through and have uh, really resonate with audiences. Yeah, well, it's a beautiful, um, you know, string-driven six-piece band um, that, that work with us. And that, along with, you know, the, the text and, and the melody of, of the songs, and it's really 95% song-driven, um, I think it heightens the emotion. As I said, things are high stakes in this show. There's no passive stuff. So what the music does and, and the song does is enables us to play at that, that heightened level. Um, and it is just an exceptional score. You, you walk out really singing the songs. Um, Jason is probably my favourite composer, one of my two favourite composers. He, he just writes stuff that, um, that challenges the artist and, as the listener, um, makes you motivated to, to love music theatre. Jason Robert Brown's The Last Five Years is now playing at 45 Downstairs, 45 Flinders Lane, Melbourne, through until the 11th of December, presented by the Vic Theatre Company. You can book at 45downstairs.com or call 9662-9966 and you can find out more about the show and about Vic Theatre Company by going to victheatrecompany.com. We've been talking with performer Josh Pitterman. Josh, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks so much. This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Back in 2012, the female punk group Pussy Riot made headlines around the world when they protested links between Vladimir Putin and the church. Um, Their performance in a cathedral lasted 40 seconds before they were arrested. Consequently, members of the band were imprisoned. They're not the only political prisoners to have made headlines in Russia and around the world. Uh, The story of Pussy Riot and the story of other activists in Russia has been dramatised in a production called Burning Doors, presented by Belarus Free Theatre at Arts Centre Melbourne. Joining us in the studio to tell us more from Pussy Riot, we have member uh, Maria Alokoya 
and from Belarus Free Theatre, the founding co-artistic director, Natalia Kalada. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Maria, let's start with you. Did Belarus Free Theatre approach you about making a story or did you approach them? Oh, well, um, I think nobody uh, approached nobody. I mean, I wrote a letter to Natalia and to Nikolai about one year ago, last September, um, when um, they made a festival called Starging a Revolution in London and uh, uh, one of my colleagues, Nadia, was a part of this uh, concert. Um, like a lot of artists were uh, performing there and, uh, well, I just wrote a letter that uh, it will be great to do a project together. And after that, I think um, after um, in December, so after three months, um, they invited me to the jungle, which is uh, um, which was the biggest refugees camp in Europe, uh, in France, in, in Calais. Calais? Yeah. yeah. Well, and we spent there several days, uh, and uh, after that understood for sure that um, um, we this, this project will be and uh, in April already they we started I think the whole work um, well I, I started to come to Minsk uh, to the underground place in garage um, and start to uh, work with ensemble uh, to talk with them, to be a part of uh, our rehearsals and um, physical trainings and so on. Um, well, and it's almost um, half of the year um, which we are together. It's a relatively rapid time in which to make a new theatre work because often theatre productions can be in development for several years before they're staged. Natalia, was it important to capture some sense of urgency in making the work in order to also have that sense of urgency part of the feel of the production on stage? I think it's a great luxury to be in the development for a few years, but in situation of uh, Belarus Free Theatre, we never know whether we will alive at a theater uh, or even as human beings because uh, Belarus continues to be the last dictatorship of Europe and um, knowing that people are kidnapped and killed there they went to jail and been tortured even if we talk about our actors um, most of them been uh, arrested uh, they lost their jobs they lost uh, their education so uh, for us it's an agency to live and uh, that's why uh, we need uh, to continue to create theater in uh, very short uh, time frames uh, besides uh, you are absolutely right that uh, those particular cases uh, of those people who we wanted uh, to talk about uh, there is an agency when you know that there is a man who is 40 years old and uh, he will be in jail for 20 years and he is a Ukrainian filmmaker and he was raising his children on his own and um, this is it then it means like we have to talk there is no other options 
The the filmmaker uh, is Ukrainian filmmaker uh, Oleg Sentsov, currently in jail, whose story is referenced in Burning Doors, as is that of Russian uh, actionist and political artist uh, Petr uh, Pavlensky, who I first uh, read about when he wrapped himself in barbed wire uh, and lay naked in the street to protest the, I guess, the the way that citizens were imprisoned by the Russian state, a, a, a very powerful piece of, of political art. Um, it's a it's actually not about prisoners it's I'm an sorry? action uh, called fixation and it's true he nailed uh, like his skin between walls to the red square um, but this is um, like his explanation that this fixation is an illustration of fixation of Russian society to their own problems and fear to act so it's like I, I was thinking of the earlier work rather than when he nailed his his scrotum to the square the the earlier piece in which he was wrapped in in barbed wire uh, but all of his work is we've got ah. a bit of, yeah but all of his work is is powerful and and striking uh, as is the the work uh, that has resulted by Belarus free theater which uh, I had the the privilege to see last night um, I guess Maria is it difficult to perform in this work for you, given what memories it evokes about being imprisoned and being detained? Well, I think... um, It will be no actor at all who who can say that uh, something is kind of easy. I, I think it's not about, like, this performance or any performance of Belarus Free Theatre. I think every uh, action is is a challenge at some point. But uh, if we are talking about uh, me, because um, I'm kind of relieving the story um, in the evenings, well, um, I think if you if you are going to the most kind of frightful moments of your story again and again and if you like make this way uh, at the end uh, of the story uh, you will be stronger than before because uh, well um, comfort life is not make you stronger at all Um, well kind of it I think and also it's not only about me I think it's about an audience also maybe I mean this is the only way to uh, make people understand something and be a part of something for example a lot of people think that um, prisons or torture or resistance is something which exists kind of far from them and if they are going to this uh, show if they are not living in the middle, uh, they they will be a part of it for for sure. And after that, they maybe will go and change something. Yeah, the one of the things that watching the production last night, the the, the intense physicality of it um, cuts through. Perhaps the I think a lot of. Australians who are aware of the media know that, for example, this country is torturing people right now on Manus Island and elsewhere. But we think about that 
dispassionately. We think about that intellectually. Uh, and seeing the show last night, the the physical intensity of the work cuts through that intellectual uh, notion to make us really feel on an emotional level the the deep discomfort and the power uh, that the work has. Uh, talk to us, um, Natalia, about that physical intensity of the production because that's something I now very much associate as perhaps a, a trademark of Belarus Free Theatre, having also seen um, uh, Minsk um, uh, 2011, 2011 uh, a reply to Kathy Acker, which again they're very intensely physical uh, and, and strong use of stagecraft to provoke an, uh, an emotional reaction from the audience. Why have such physical, powerful work? Uh, it is true, it uh, became our trademark, and I think with Ben Indus, uh, we uh, reached that uh, particular theatre language uh, that I should say we are proud of. Uh, why it is so physical? Uh, when we started our rehearsals uh, in July of this particular year, uh, there were only a few days of rehearsals, and one morning, uh, Nikolai uh, Halizin, who is the director of the show and my husband as well, uh, woke up and he said, horrible news. I said, what's happened? He said, uh, our friend was killed in Kiev. And uh, it, his name was Pavel Sherimet, and he was that journalist with who Nikolai started many, many years ago among 11 journalists, independent movement of journalism in Belarus. But for today, it's only few journalists who are alive. Uh, the rest of them been killed. And uh, that particular day, even though we knew that we want to make this show very strong physically uh, and with a lot of images that will stay with you. That particular morning we understood that we have to dedicate that show to that person and uh, we came to talk to our actors. Usually we don't do kind of emotional speeches uh, but that particular morning we came and we said uh, we know now even more why we do this show uh, and we are absolutely angry uh, and uh, we want you to share that anger with audience and could you check your limits of your body and your minds in order for audience to understand that it is a reality, it's not a show and when you are exhausted on stage, it's not your faking up but you are completely exhausted and uh, there is no way to continue to perform and only truth is left in your body and this is exactly what we wanted to achieve and share with the audience. I think you certainly achieved it having watched the show last night and feeling the and hearing the audience around me responding to the work as well. That notion of truth is one of the great powers that art has art, whether it be theatre, whether it be visual art, a painting like Guernica, for example, uh, whether it be a book, art can speak truth to power in a way that perhaps the media can't, perhaps a, a protest can't. Do you think that's why um, oligarchs and dictators are afraid of art? Because art can speak truth so effectively. I think it goes uh, in in Benin Dos. We have Michel Foucault, 
uh, discipline and punish. And uh, it is that particular piece when Foucault immersed all of us into understanding how system use bodies of people. And what dictators do, they think they might control us mentally. So they start to put a lot of pressure psychologically on us. Uh, and when it doesn't work, they start to put that pressure on our bodies. But uh, it's necessary to understand that we have only one particular tool. It's creativity and our bodies. And that particular mixture of art and dedication to human rights put all dictators into panic mode. Uh, because we make people think. And uh, this is that particular thing when dictators understand they want to control the system. But when people start thinking this is over and from where fear appears among systems. Maria, as a member of Pussy Riot, uh, how important is it to the band to be able to speak ag out against power, to challenge power through music? Well... Um what Pussy Riot is doing uh, is not actually a music, and from the very beginning, we just use a music, uh, and like music, not was not only one thing which we kind of uh, used. For example, photography and video is the also the part of the documentation. Um, well, it's a political punk collective. Um, well, for us, uh, of course, the most, uh, for, for me personally, most important thing is to provoke those who have power, and especially those who took this power illegally. Um, well, I, I think you're totally right about uh, the truth and uh, the like, power of art. Um, because, well, um, for example, um, Peter uh, Pavlensky, who, who I think uh, now the main contemporary artist of Russia, he said that um, authorities and governments, they can actually take everything what you have, but they cannot take your body and still, uh, and when... I mean, th this time you have your body, you can use it in the political goals, political tools. And I think, well, for me these words uh, are very important because I really know that uh, now in Russia, I mean, the main, the main thing I think kind of interesting and dangerous at the same time that uh, we should understand that Putin and his team. They are different uh, from the, for example, Stalin and his system. And they're different in the way of that they are unpredictable. Um, for example, uh, one year ago, or one and a half year ago, uh, one of the main Russian oppositioners, Boris Yemsov, was shot near the Kremlin walls, just in the, in the heart of Moscow, in the heart of the political Moscow, he was just like shot at the night uh, in the bridge. And well, I'm I'm very sure uh, 
that this murder, I mean, they didn't plan it for a year. So um, they can, like, stop you in the border, in the in the airport they can put you to the to the prison just for holding peaceful poster they can shoot you so this is kind of a soviet-minded mafia uh but yeah uh and when when you realize all this uh, all these things you you understand that at least you have a body and to stop you they they can only like kill you and but, but they can't necessarily kill the ideas that you have yeah yeah this is true burning doors by belarus free theater is currently playing at art center melbourne i highly highly recommend that you jump online at artcentermelbourne.com.au to book tickets for the remaining performances tonight and tomorrow night at 8pm Saturday at 3pm and 8pm the Saturday performance at 3 will be audio described for the vision impaired if you would like to know more about Belarus Free Theatre and their campaigns including the campaign I'm with the band B-A-N-N-E-D an artist led campaign bringing people together to express themselves in solidarity with artists artists and activists who are banned, censored and imprisoned in Belarus and Russia, you can jump online, belarusfreetheatre.com. I've been talking with Natalia and Maria. It's been an absolute pleasure having you both in the studio. Thank you again for last night's performance, which I enjoyed enormously. And thanks for Thank coming you. to Triple R today. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you. This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. My last guest for the morning has joined me in the studio. Marsha Ferguson is in to talk about her work as part of more art, public art in and around the city of Moreland. Welcome. Thanks, Richard. Why is public art important? Because everybody gets to see it. Um, I do still believe that gallery art is elitist and there is only a certain sector that goes, even artists say only artists and collectors go to art galleries. Um, But that's actually not true. You know, my mum goes to an art gallery occasionally. But in the main, public art is out there for everybody and and you want it to somehow reflect the community that they um, participate in or surprise people in some astonishing way. So for me, what's important is... It helps you think about a place in a completely different way. One of the things that from, that I delight in with public art is the way it jolts me out of the everyday and the ordinary, you, yeah. particularly when it's temporary work. If you're walking along a street you're very familiar with, um, you're almost in a trance. You're just kind of you're in a, a non-space going from home to work or uh, work to a bar or something yeah. like that. And suddenly you'll see something that just changes the world even just for a split second and yeah. i love that yeah yeah you know once um at big west um we did a mobile radio thing in a in a neighborhood street and we had you know kids playing in bands and all sorts of things and people flocked because they could hear the sound and joined in with the cordial and went back and got chips and it turned into this beautiful incredible spontaneous five-hour event um even um some two um vca students were playing um piano accordions playing traditional um, Balkan songs 
And a, a girl came down from upstairs and said, the man up there is my father. He's crying and looking at our photo album. Our mother died this week and you're playing our traditional songs and we want you to share our lemonade with us. You know, so Oh, that's beautiful. Th- these are the moments that public art and that surprise you're talking about can just be, mean so much. Now, you were the artistic uh, director of Big West. You finished mm. up there early in the year. That's and right. since then, uh, the board of the festival decided to close it down, a decision which still flabbergasted and frustrates me. Yes. But let's move on and talk about more art itself. Yes, yes. You haven't programmed the festival, you're not running that one, but you are participating in it. So from your point of view as an artist and as somebody interested in works that are presented in public space, why – tell us a little bit more about this festival and and from your perspective as an artist – what is it? What's it for? What's it doing in Moreland? Look, I think just on the outset, overall, the idea of having public art up a public train line with one of the busiest bike paths in Melbourne is a fantastic idea. Everything is contained to this streaming commuter route. Um, so that's one of the things I really love about it. Um, so if you want to see stuff, you can hop on and off. You can get on your bike and, and, and view a whole lot of... Um, different kinds of experiences, again, temporal and and so on. But what I was attracted to in this particular one was the theme, Passage, um, going from the cemetery, Faulkner Cemetery, right down to Jewel Station. And, in fact, I had a chat with Dan Mitchell after I left Big West, um, and he's going... Dan's the artistic director of, of More Art. He is, the, and the curator. So yeah. it's a council-based festival, and he works for the council. And he's going, oh, it'd be great. I'd really, you know, did you know that the upfield line was originally a mortuary train line? And I went, no, my God, that changes the way I see that whole trip, like dead bodies, many hundreds and hundreds of them travelled up a, this line. Anybody who's a, 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 an office drone in the city listening to this conversation <laughs> is probably seeing themselves and their morning commute in a different light as well. That's right. Yeah, but but so that notion of a f- kind of like a funeral train line essentially set up on, on a spur line to deliver coffins and yes. to deliver bodies to the, the Faulkner Cemetery yes. um, is just a remarkable piece of, piece of history which yes. clearly 99% of Melbourne has either forgotten about or never knew. And those are the gaps that I found astonishing. Like, I really felt, um, oh, just as an artist, delighted by that, but also like, oh, my God, what else don't we know? Um, and so the, the project that I came up with in response to that for the, for the commission was um, working from the point of view of a sentient body travelling up that train line, this very last leg of you know, before their final destination, this one-way track, what's that like? Um, what would that person be thinking? And did heaps and heaps of interviews with all these people in Coburg Mall and along the bike path, you know, hailing them down uh, and to ask them what's their, what kind of language do they use around death? And this also came from my own experience. My dad died after 22 years of a serious illness in February this year. Uh, and we developed a very black sense of humour around death, and I wanted to, and, pe- and I would be admonished by people, and so would my father, and he'd just tell them to f off. Um, and and uh, you know, after a long stormy relationship, it was a, a coming together over <laughs> this black sense of humour. So lots of people had lots to say, lots of cultural perspectives, and so I wrote some poems and distributed one of those poems along the line with gaps, much like the memories we have of life, of a life. Um, broken up by things we don't know, broken up by space and contemplation. Um, And that poem was created, all of the poems were created um, 
drawing on what the interviews had offered. And designed to be read uh, in snatches from the train as you pass or as you ride along the bike path. And I love the fact that some people may glance up from their phone at just the right moment and just see a phrase that will resonate. They may not see the whole poem. They may never see or read the whole poem. It was a a hope that those fragments would stand up on their own. Um, and is it designed to be read from the city out to the station, so replicating that passage of the dead? It is. Rather than the opposite direction? That's right. Yeah. Um, I have tried a few times to read it backwards, but I'm too close to it. I can't tell <laughs> if it's a schmuzzle or if it works, but yeah. And yeah. you've made a second work for mm. uh, more art as well, uh, actually at Faulkner Cemetery itself. Mm. So um, in doing... This kind of having this experience of realizing I knew nothing about the outfield line really, and then going to Faulkner Cemetery, it seemed to me that historical research was the first cab off the rank. And what I found out was that John Pascoe Faulkner, uh, when he bought up all the land north of the Melbourne, that Melbourne little tiny village, um, he leased it out, and the conditions of the lease were that every lessee had to destroy all traces of native vegetation, trees, shrubs, grasses, flowering wild flowers and replace them instead with um, hedgerows and fruit trees which could be bought from his own private nursery. And so they pretty much finished off the grey um, uh, grey box grassy plain area but then the sheep came in and totally destroyed all the yams, the Murnong daisy. Um, and this had disastrous consequences of course for the local Indigenous community. Many, many people died but It's not my place to tell those stories. That is an Indigenous story to be told. So my interest was in putting back those species that had been lost. And so I built um, nine tombstone-like planter boxes laid out at exactly the same dimensions of of graves and filled them with um, um, flourishing and rare and lost Indigenous species with the help of, you know, Indigenous collective um, think providing the seeds. And they're um, now flourishing and ready to overflow. And the beautiful thing is that they're all going to be transplanted to the billabong um, in the cemetery uh, where they can just um, spread their seed and and flourish and again. And perhaps slowly reclaim the area. That's right, because the Box Forest Village did overlap um, the cemetery very close to where that billabong was. So... There's no grey box grassy, uh, no grey box trees actually um, included in this, but ideally you would want all of those elements in in that mix. So we'll see how we go. Faulkner Cemetery, named after John Pascoe Faulkner. The more I hear about him, if I already knew that I didn't particularly like him. I mean, he didn't drink and frowned on drinking, but was very happy to sell alcohol uh, to the, <laughs> yes. the people of, uh, of early Melbourne. Um, and yeah, he just sounds like a bit of a prick, really. Yeah, look, it's a really he is a mixed figure. He did great things and. Truly horrendous things. And I guess we do like people to be a villain or a hero, and he was neither. Yeah, shades of grey. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. More Art is a City of Moreland uh, public art event that's been running since the 28th of October right through November and is continuing on until the 18th of December at 16 different uh, places and installations and events happening across the City of Moreland. There's been poetry on trams. There are bicycle tours you can take part in. Uh, There's events at Brunswick Woolworths, for example, and at Anstey Station and more. It's it's that corridor out along the train line mm. through the through the very heart and soul of, of Brunswick and Coburg and beyond. Mm. And what a fantastic community. You know, wherever I go, whenever we were putting up train lines, it took a long time to 
it was hand-painted paper stencils, so it took a very long time. And people would stop and chat, and it was a fantastic community, and it's, uh, that festival is perfect for them. For more information about the festival, which, as I said, is running until the 18th of December in multiple sites and locations, all of them free, jump online, www.moreland.vic.gov. Um, uh, .au According to this piece of paper it's moreland.vic.gov forward slash more art but I'm suspecting there may be an AU in there. I could be completely wrong um, but do check it out. Um, City of Moreland uh, celebrating public art in Melbourne's northern suburbs. It's a beautiful thing uh, and Marsha Ferguson's work, two works, Box Forest out at the Faulkner Cemetery and, on the, and catch the train out there from the city. So you can see train lines, her uh, poem as well, and reflect on that journey that uh, once corpses took to their final destination. What a fantastic piece of history to uncover. Yeah. Uh, Marsha, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Richard. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.